episode 28, Diabetic Neuropathy, Avoiding Amputation, and Foodie. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and today we hear Dr. T. Wynn perspective. For doctors who want a thriving practice and abundant home life, listen as your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, goes behind the curtain and interviews doctors and guests about real-world triumph, struggles, practical tips, and entertainment on this episode of A Doctor's Perspective. We're going to continue our Women's Spotlight with Dr. T. Wynn. She is fellowship trained in wound care, particularly with diabetics. I mentioned it in the podcast, but you've got to check out her Instagram. It can be kind of gross, but to me, it's pretty amazing because I remember, you know, Cadaver Lab and being impressed with the uh, feet and how complicated that seems to be. Uh, she's going to go into some great advice on how to check to see if you have loved ones or even yourself, if they have diabetes, to make sure that how, you're, how you can keep your feet healthy so you don't have to have amputations. She talks about uh, self-diagnosis and how that can be a bad thing and why. She'll talk about uh, things that she does with her husband to keep the love alive and so much more. All the show notes can be found at a doctorrespective.net slash 28. Let's go hashtag behind the curtain. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Dr. T. Wynn, DPM Podiatry in Santa Cruz, California. She's fellowship trained in wound care. She's passionate about preventing leg amputations, especially in diabetics, and she educates others in prevention. Welcome so much to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. Absolutely. I'm excited. I, uh, I've had one podiatrist on the show before, and he, uh, he was kind of a similar all about prevention and those types of things. But, you know, we kind of met via Instagram and I saw some of your your photos and I was like, wow, these are really graphic, but really awesome because I don't see that stuff as a chiropractor. Uh, so I'm just, cu- I'm just curious, kind of what, what got you into podiatry over anything else? And um, how did you pick it? Um, to be frank, nothing in particular caught my attention <laughs> when I was graduating undergrad. I wish I had a really cool story, you know, but I don't. Nobody in my family had gone to college uh, at that age when I was trying to figure out what I wanted. To. So my last year in college, I visited the college fair, um, just talked to a bunch of people, and I thought the coolest person there was um, somebody marketing for the podiatry school, and we just got to talking, and a lot of it was lifestyle choices. You know, I was interested in medicine. Um, I dabbled a little bit in pharmacy, and I really wanted a job that was a little bit more interactive with people, so that's kind of how I stumbled upon it, really. Okay. When you're in uh, podiatry school, are there a lot of residency programs or like subspecialties that you can go into? Yeah, once you finish the four years of podiatry school, there's surgical residency, which is three years of training. And then after that, you can choose to specialize even further. So that's when I went into the one-year fellowship in Dallas to learn more about wound care and amputation prevention. Wow. So that is a lot of extra schooling. So when you come out, you're as trained as like a a heart surgeon. (laughs) Exhausted, yeah. I don't have to start immediately after I graduate, right? Because this is too much. (laughs) So what are you finding to be the cause of all these crazy wounds and cuts and diabetics? Like, do they wait too long or what? Explain that for me. A lot of diabetes, probably half who are diagnosed with diabetes will end up developing what's called neuropathy, peripheral neuropathy. So they start to lose feeling in the hands and feet. That's the stocking glove syndrome. When you start to lose feeling, that protective sensation that tell you to pull back, that's from something that's very hot, like a hot bath water. Um, or stepping on a needle or a thumbtack or a toy or a Lego, you know, those things hurt. Pain is a good thing, but when you don't have that feedback sensor, 
you ignore it. You ignore the cuts. You ignore the infection. And it's not until the patient gets very sick, they start to get fever, or somebody else notices the smell or drainage or a hole in their foot is when they start to seek medical attention. Sometimes it's not too late, um, but oftentimes I do find a lot of situations where people just didn't know that they needed a podiatrist to help them with those things. Now how is it because they're really big and can't they're not very like uh, mobile because I'm thinking I wash my feet every day I can see my feet it was something I would kind of notice so what do you see there? Some people when they have diabetes they're also having other medical problems like they start to lose their vision so they can't see the bottom of their feet for instance or they're not flexible they have back pain arthritis they can't bend over to even reach and clean between between the feet the toes really mm. um, so those are some of the issues that I see okay do you happen to have a, uh, a tip for people who might be diabetic or uh, a loved one who might be listening to this might be late stage diabetes like that to where they can be a little more preventative in, in what they're looking for so for their loved ones yeah as soon as you're fine as, as, excuse me as soon as you're diagnosed with diabetes uh, establish a podiatrist immediately we can see things that you may not be able to notice small things like like calluses. Why is the callus there? That's thickening of tissue. That's your body responding to excessive pressure. How do we fix that? We talk about using offloading uh, mechanisms like an orthotic, maybe a custom-made insole. Those are inserts that goes into different types of shoes. We can look at the current shoes that you have. Maybe those are uh, causing some problems as well. So that would be a starting point is just to establish care with a foot specialist. Do you find a lot of people don't do that? They just go to their general practitioner and that's about all they do? Yeah, you know, general practitioners are the gatekeepers for all of our the specialties and they're often overwhelmed. Or they do give the information and then the patients are overwhelmed. They have so many doctor's appointments and that's the last thing they want to do is see, you know, something that they think is benign, their feet, everything else, their heart, their eyes, their kidneys, you know, take precedence. That's true. Because some people are on a budget as well where they're like, well, that doctor didn't say much or it's not so bad. I'll just, yeah. if it gets bad, I'll notice. I'll, yeah. I'll know if it gets bad. It, exactly. Exactly. They'll wait till it gets bad. And unfortunately, that's, you know, that's kind of really too late sometimes. Are you all surgery at this point? I am predominantly surgery, but not all surgery. Um, I do a lot of palliative care, so we do prevention, education. Um, all of the diabetics that I see, I see them routinely. Mm -hmm. If they're diabetic without problems like neuropathy, no history of amputation, no ulceration, I can see them once a year. If they're a little bit older, maybe getting a little bit more frail or they're starting to lose their vision and they can't see and reach their feet to take good care and have basic foot hygiene, I'll see them about two to three months. And if they have an ulcer or if they're a surgical patient, I usually see them every week. Really? Like before the surgery or uh, just post-care? Yeah, if they have an ulcer, I, I definitely want to see them at least once a week to keep things clean because it things can flip overnight. Yeah, that's true. I'm curious. Um, as a chiropractor, you know, I see, you know, treat some plantar fasciitis. We treat some uh, some ankle sprains and things like that. What's a good tip, it's even for physical therapists too, so when should we say... This is beyond our realm, and we need to refer to you. Uh, I think it's a give and take. I rely heavily on um, physical therapy for a lot of these patients who don't want surgery. Mm -hmm. I don't think surgery is 
the end all. It's an option. Mm-hmm. So when I refer out to physical therapists, you know, they already know that I'm sending them for something very particular. And then once they complete their circuit and the patient is not at 100% or wherever their goals are, then we revisit surgery. And that would be a good indicator. You know, let's say you've exhausted your chiropractic care and your patient is still not functional. They can't go back to work without pain then they you know bounce back to me and then we talk a little bit more seriously about other options uh, do you do if, if um if you're hiking and one of your ligaments rips off the bone that's a pretty bad sprain are you the person to go to or should you go to an orthopedic surgeon <laughs> um we are trained in foot and ankle uh issues so i you know our podiatry school here in the states is four years and then the three years of surgical training to reconstruct some of those issues um, some of us go into fellowships as well, additionally, mm-hmm. for um, things like that. So it's really, it really depends on where you're from and what you know of the doctors around you and what your referral base is. Uh-huh. And insurance coverage, you guys, right? Very as nice. far as I know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's paying my bills. <laughs> uh, I know. <laughs> you know it. Now, are you private practice or do you work in a hospital? I work in a private group with other podiatrists. I'm a new associate. I started with this particular group last year, um, and it's uh, it's all podiatry. There's two, three, four other podiatrists as well. Wow. So I'm curious, uh, coming out of school, or I guess finally finishing everything, you're super duper trained. So you're, it's not like you're it's not like you're a rookie. You're actually like a fellowship trained, the boss, as they say. Um, when they hire you, do they they treat new people pretty good as far as like? competitive salaries and and things like that they don't just treat you like a um well you're brand new out of the four-year program you don't have any other specialties uh, i would assume those guys guys would probably get paid less than you is that a i don't know the answers to that i knew that when i got interviewed people were very laid back don't forget i live in santa cruz the culture in itself is pretty chill you know we're serious about our work but we're also very serious about our downtime mm. Uh, uh, so I think I got hooked up with a really great team. We all interact very well together, very kind with me. I mean, I've never felt short changed for any reason. So I feel like I'm a fair contributor to the group. Very cool. And the reason why I ask, there's certain professions out there where if you're new, they don't really, like you said, they, they kind of shortchange you until you kind of learn the ropes. And then all of a sudden now you're, you're like, oh, what was I doing that for? So I was just curious how it works <laughs> in your field. I'm sure field. I don't think there's any field that isn't like that. Okay. When you're doing like educating your patients or like maybe giving talks or, and educating other people, are there any big misconceptions about what you do? Yes. Well, yes. <laughs> or annoying. They could be super annoying to you. You're like, oh my gosh, come on. Well, for starters, I look very young for my age. The misconception is she's too young. She doesn't have enough experience. I want the older male. Mm. So I have two hits against me. I'm a female. I look young. Um, automatically, people think I don't have, you know, what's necessary to help them, which is fine. You know, you get that every day and okay. then you just deal with it. Um, the second misconception that I deal with is, oh, you're a podiatrist. So you just trim toenails. That's how it used to be. That's how it started, yes. But that was many decades ago, and our profession is rapidly changing. So our training is very specific to the foot and ankle. Everything related, whether it be an ankle fracture or flat foot reconstruction or you fell off a ladder and you broke your heel and you know we fix all those things um so that's the big two that i deal with is that oh you don't do surgery yes i do oh you're young yes i am experienced (laughs) (laughs) that's really cool uh what would you say to look out for 
if, if I'm looking to send somebody to a podiatrist, uh, what are some of the things that I should be asking to make sure that they're a good fit for the type of client that I'm looking for? What in particular are you referring to, I suppose? Okay. Uh, I guess for like an ankle sprain or like a really bad plantar fasciitis versus like a wound care, diabetes, obviously that would be the, to you. So I, would that be the questions to ask? What are your, what's their training? You can just ask them, hey, I have this problem. Can you fix it? Um, we have such a diverse set of podiatry, you know, podiatrists in training. Not all the podiatrists do wound care. Not all. all, all. Sorry. Hi. <laughs> so it's so not all podiatrists uh, are created equal. It's all based. Really, I think what you're saying is just ask the question, what are you trained in? And if you don't match up to what the patient's experiencing, then just call another one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, basically, hey, I have this problem. Can you fix it? And I'm pretty honest. There's a bunch of stuff I, I can't do or I don't want to do. Um, and, you know, I have patients ask me all the time, what do you think about acupuncture for my heel pain? I don't know. I don't do them. <laughs> ask ac- acupuncturists. So for me, I'm pretty frank about certain things. Um, but just because I do care doesn't mean I don't do other things as well. That's true. This could be a redundant question, but I like to know some doctors really feel like they have this this special ability, this unique quality. What would you say is your like unique ability or quality that makes you so special? <laughs> well, I think we all want to feel special, right? Yeah. Uh, so I think for me in particular, I take a lot of pride in being very fr- forward with my patients, being honest. Um, you know, I deal out a lot with care, and that means I deal a lot with amputations too. I don't like having that conversation with patients where I've done everything I could, and now they have to lose their leg. I think that is one of the hardest conversations I can have, but it's necessary. Otherwise, they can lose their life. And I think, you know, given the choice between you and me as well, we'd probably choose a leg over our life. Um, whereas some people, they would actually rather die than lose a body part. Um, so I have to deal with those differences. What makes me very different from my colleagues, perhaps, is that I'm not afraid to have those conversations up front. Even on that first meeting, being very serious. Say, hey, you have this condition. If you're not serious about taking care of yourself, who's going to care about you? It should be you. It shouldn't be me. Of course, I care, obviously. You know, that's why I'm in the field. Right. Um, so it's my husband calls it tough love, essentially. Uh, we, you know, he's a general surgeon, so he deals with patients as well. Uh, and he, he just thinks that I'm a little bit more dry. But if, but, you, if you see a, an ankle and a leg that automatically, that's the comment that you have to make, it's got to be pretty bad. Yeah, I, um, at least once a week, I have to deal with, you know, an amputation hmm. of some kind. Um, so I've just learned to be very succinct and not dance around the issue and say, hey, this is what you're going through, what you should expect, and what I can do to help you. But you need to meet me halfway. I do my part. You need to do your part. Yeah, because it could be like just that. Like most of it is it like an infection type of situation that they, that's the reason why they have to you have to cut it off or amputate it. Yeah, yeah, pretty much infection or gangrene. You know, they don't have good circulation and they're having a lot of pain. That would be an indication for an amputation. Okay, well that's about as real as it gets right there. <laughs> My goodness. But I, I don't cut it off all the time. Right. <laughs> I don't enjoy it. I do it very well because there is a wrong way forming these procedures. You can leave somebody very deformed um, and, you know, have to go through multiple surgeries. That's not necessary. Right. And I'm guessing like if it's a younger person who maybe doesn't have diabetes, more like an accident, the way you do it will set you up for the perfect uh, prosthetic. Or if they don't do a good job, you're like, we could have done this, but you, you got botched. Uh, some, sometimes. Sometimes we 
can salvage. Sometimes, uh, you know, it could be pretty bad. Could be pretty bad. Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I am curious then. Do you have to do any of the uh, the marketing at all for your in your in your clinic? I'm really lucky. I'm in a group that's well established in um, the places that we're set up in. Mm-hmm. I I market online. You know, through my Instagram. Mostly, it's not marketing so much as educating. Right. Because I see a lot of things that I think are very easy to deal with. Um, but by the time patients have exhausted their Google search or WebMD, you know, they've mistakenly diagnosed themselves with something, therefore mistreating it. Then mm. they get to me and it's, to me, it's ob- obvious what it is to them. It's brand spanking new. Um, so that's the only way I utilize marketing, not for myself, but more for education. Okay. But it seems to be working. Yeah, I'm pretty busy. <laughs> Happily. That's good. Well, I think other doctors can just, li- what, what you just said, they can start doing that as well. You know, if you're putting up pictures, if you're putting up uh, public service announcement type of things, you know, they can do that as well. You can show a really bad tooth or a really bad eye that looks like 15 different things, but you're like, that shouldn't just be sitting around in your on your face. You need to go see this eye doctor to get this yeah. checked out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people uh, are afraid of doctors and I try to be, you know, I don't wear my white coat for that particular reason. I don't want to build that barrier. I want to be able to be approachable for patients so that they can ask questions like, hey, I, I think I made a mistake. You know, um, what do you think? And I want them to be honest. Uh, with our interaction. Mm. Oh, that's interesting. No white coat. Very interesting. No, it gets me in trouble sometimes, but oh well. Put that on. <laughs> You're a doctor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you have to deal with any of the staff as far as like hiring, firing, or training? Nope. I just stick on them and they deal with it and we have a good time. <laughs> the, staff a- is the staff is everything though. Um, so I really value having them mm-hmm. and their inputs. You know, if it's a bad day, I need them to speak up. If it's a good day, I show my gratitude, my appreciation, because they're the front lines to patient care. If the patients don't like my staff, they're not going to like me right off the bat. Right. So they're not going to come back. A lot of people lost patients and didn't even realize it because of their staff. That's true. Exactly. Yeah. Um, what what type of like five-year or 10-year goals do you have for yourself? or And uh, how do you know if they're worthy to go after? Man, that's a loaded question. Um <laughs> I'm going to be at this Um, clinic forever. (laughs) I love being where I'm at right now. I'm very happy with location, with the group, with what I'm getting as far as building my practice. But I do see uh, myself expand a little bit more on wound care issues, maybe in higher risk areas. Um, And I hope to see that grow where people are actually wanting to stay in this community for wound care. Right now, we have a split between people who live in the area who want to stay and their referral, their primary doctors want to refer them out to a bigger academic facility. We're not academic facility. We're a small community. Okay. So it's my hope that we keep patients who live here in the neighborhood to get good care, to get competitive care. Uh, as as well as an academic center. Well, it seems like if you have five of them, four or five of y'all, y'all could really uh-huh. offer the, the, the gamut of podiatry things that even a, a teaching hospital down the street could do. Yeah, we do have um, experiences from different backgrounds. We all specialize in very unique things. Um, there's nothing we don't really cover um, in this area, so that's kind of my driving goal is to maintain that and keep that here. Wow. Well, and that says something, too, because there's such a need in a community where you could actually hire that many in one building and not feel like you're competing <laughs> against each other. Plus, there's probably other podiatry groups in the town yeah. as well. Right. There's other groups. They're the they're major groups. I think we're the only private practice group here. Wow. 
Where do you see, I guess that's a double question. Where do you see the future of your profession going in the next few years? And what gets you excited about podiatry in the, in the future? I think wound care is very underappreciated in podiatry, okay. but it's advanced because now we're noticing that more often than not, a lot of our patients are diabetics um, and they're very difficult to to cure. You can't cure diabetes always. Um so that's kind of where my professional goals are headed towards into educating maybe the people interested in podiatry, maybe the students who have not, not much of a clear idea of where their practice is heading, um, residency training where you know they want to do particular procedures um, that are really cool and then they want to add to that armamentarium. And there's you know the wound care component where not only are we utilizing advanced grafts, uh, orthobiologics they're called, but we're doing you know these beautiful rotational muscle flaps where we're using your own body to cover a wound and get you healing without you know really expensive grafts and things like that. Are, is the technology there? Because I heard they're growing and 3D printing like kidneys and different things. Are we there yet in your profession? I, I don't know what we need to grow in the lower extremity. We can, we harvest skin from your own body already, and that's an old tech, you know, plastic surgery technique. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all we really need is skin. I think the next step is probably trying to rebuild fat in the bottom of your foot. Okay. You know, we, that takes up a lot of pressure uh, over time. And as you get older, the fat layer thins out, and that's how people start to get sores. So I think... I see that in plastic surgery, they're talking about, you know, liposuction and transferring fat from one area into another. So I kind of see that moving forward. Yeah, I thought they were, I thought they were doing that, um, not necessarily for like breast enhancements, but for um, like redistributing it to different areas of like your calf or like something like that if you needed it. So they're not there yet for the feet. Correct. Some people are doing it, um, but the long-term results are a little bit sketchy. Because I guess it has to have its own blood supply, and otherwise it'll just kind of like die inside your... Well, plus the bottom of your foot, if you imagine, you know, all the weight that you put on it every day, the mm-hmm. fat can dissolve and thins out again. That's true. So what's protecting it now? Just kind of what God gave you to begin with is pretty superior? <laughs> um, the bottom of your feet, you mean? Yeah. There's a collagen lattice structure that you can't really replicate. Even if you injected fat, um, it's it's a different architecture. Mm. Does the PRP stuff work in the feet like it would for an elbow? Yes, there's a PRP for sports medicine. Um, I'm being distracted by my husband. It's okay. <laughs> um, it has been shown to work in some particular pathologies, yes, but that's not my area of expertise. I don't know too much about it. Gotcha. Last couple questions. You okay? Yeah. All right, we're gonna switch gears. So you are you are married. So we'll ask a question about that too. All right. So sometimes as a doctor, it's difficult to take vacation because we lose money on the vac- well, we spend money on the vacation, we lose revenue from not seeing clients, and then especially if you're new, you may not actually have enough time built up. So do you take vacation? And if so, how are you able to do that or take more if you notice that you don't? Um, I have to take a vacation. Um, it's easy to get overwhelmed. I see over 20 patients a day, sometimes four days a week, sometimes five days a week, just depends. Sometimes I take another Saturday to see patients. It's it's overwhelming if you don't take a break for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I do commit to utilize every single day I have um, for vacation for that exclusively. And when I'm on vacation, I am checked off. Um, and that's very difficult for a physician. It's difficult for a surgeon because if you just did a surgery, you need to be reachable. 
Mm-hmm. But, you know, if I know a uh, vacation's coming up, I have to build around that and make sure that my colleagues can back me up, you know, if I'm out of town, something like that. But I think it's critical to make time for vacation. Mm. So you do have a nice, most people, I guess, are willing to cover for you because at some point they're going to need the return favor? Yeah, that's the uh, advantage of a group. We, we have a call schedule, so things come up, life happens, we have to cover for each other. That's pretty good. Uh, all right, well, what about this? Besides your profession, do you have any hobbies or volunteers or kids or anything like that that keeps you busy? I am very busy <laughs> with work. So what little time I have left, I try to stay active, go to the gym, hang out with my dogs, my husband. Um, what we really do enjoy doing is restaurant hunting. So we're always looking for new new foods to try, new places to go and hang out. Um, we make an effort to travel outside of our little neighborhood you know, and try different things. Yeah. So we're exploring. What's your favorite, uh, I guess, non-staple American food? Well, there's so many. We love Italian food. We mm-hmm. love Vietnamese, Korean, Japanese. Um, gosh, that's the hard one. We just eat everything, really. <laughs> yeah. Those Vietnam noodles are so good, by the way. Oh, when we, <laughs> yes. when, we, when I go there, I'm like, oh, these are so good. And then, you know, I'm living in China. And so we eat a lot of noodles, but they're like the fresh-made ones. And uh-huh. whew, it's a whole nother level. It's a whole nother level when yeah. you get, like, even at an Italian place, if you get fresh noodles versus not noodles. But, you have uh, to get them fresh, no matter where you are. Yeah. Oh. I mean, I, I just assume not even cook noodles at the house because they're just not the same. Not the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what is something that maybe you and your, your husband do to make sure you guys feel connected and not kind of drift apart as the, since you're both surgeons? That's a good question. Um, he's extremely busy as a general surgeon and I am a I try not to be very demanding wife but it's hard and then in this we went through this through school um I you know we were both busy and even though I'm studying to be a a doctor myself I'm still a wife I still want to be around him Mm -hmm. so we used to commit to having a date night you know Friday night we'd make time to go out phones away now that we're in practice, you know, we have a lot more leisure. Um, we have a little bit more control in our schedule. So we make the effort to make, to have dinner together every night, whether we eat out or if we're on the go, we make that time to sit down and talk about our day and all that. Very good. So that's been pretty helpful. Yeah. Very good. And the reason why I asked, there's so many, you know, doctors, just being a doctor increases your chance of divorce. Plus just being married is always never, a, uh, you know, the, the stats always bad there. So there's so many doctors, they gain the world and then they lose their family. So that's, that, that's one of the why we always kind of ask that question on the, on the show and uh, kind of get a, you know, everybody has a different answer. So that's actually a new one, having dinner together every night and having a conversation. It's so simple, but we take it for granted. Well, it's easy to get distracted. Oh, I'm going to go to the gym instead while you go do your thing and we'll just kind of meet up after that. And Yeah. So. Yeah. Do you happen to have a morning routine or a lunch routine that gets you grounded and focused for the rest of the day? Oh, I wish I had a routine. <laughs> you know, I used to wake up early and do yoga and just do like a three-minute meditation, you know, try to plan out my day. This morning, I'm going to have a healthy breakfast. I'm going to do my yoga. Um, I'm going to work on some of the goals I want to achieve today. I want to talk about I want to think about some of my weaknesses and things that I wasn't so good at last week. You know, perhaps 
um, I didn't communicate very well or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And I kind of jot it down and I think about that actively throughout the day, making sure that I don't repeat those mistakes. Um, and so that's how I started to generate my day and, and not trying to be so overwhelmed with the work because it's easy to get buried into the paperwork and just, you know, when, when irritations stack up, it's easy to just, you know, take it out on your staff and let it get out of control. But I try to start the morning off right um, and just be a little bit more mindful. That's a great answer. What about um, any favorite books or apps or podcasts or things like that that really have made an impact on your life, whether it's um, something you'd always give? Like if you're a student, if you're anybody, this is a book I would recommend. And then, you know, secretly, this is another really good book that uh, has helped me out in certain areas of my life. Any nuggets for us there? I really enjoy uh, two things, audio audiobooks, mm-hmm. so audibles.com, whatever books you want. If you're a lazy reader like me, you just want to listen, <laughs> you can get through your book a little bit faster, um, is a resource that I really like. The other one is TED, uh, TED Talks. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I want to just branch out of my specialty and see the world and understand what other people are really good at. Um, or I take a motivational speaker and listen to them for an hour. And, you know, whatever breaks I have, I try to utilize those two things exclusively to just expand my knowledge of the world. Um, as far as particular books, there are so many. But the, uh, the most recent one I read that I just bought for a bunch of people... Uh, it's called The Slight Edge. Are you familiar with that book? Not really, no. It's a, it's a really easy read, and I really like it because there's a, there's a, in each chapter, there's people's writing on how that book has improved their life, and I, I kind of take, I like those types of books a lot. So it's a book just, about other books? It's a book about uh, get having the slight edge in whatever profession you're doing or whatever goals you're trying to achieve. You know, what is that secret? I mean, the secret is Ooh. really obvious, actually. Um, that but maybe fantastic. I'll leave it up to you to figure out. <laughs> yeah. No, that sounds fantastic. I, I agree with you. Now that you said that, I was like, that is a kind of a book that I like. Is It's an accumulation of a lot of people's wisdom and other things that they've done. Learn from people. That's what I say. Yes, me too. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, how can people uh, get in contact with you? is my website. Um, DPM stands for Doctor of Podiatric Medicine, so um, that's designated for a podiatrist. Or you can find me on Instagram at Dr. T underscore podiatry. I thought it was funny that it rhymed, so Dr. T podiatry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's going to stick, but you can find me online. I'm all over Very <laughs> social good. media. Keep it easy, right? Yes. Absolutely. Well, any, uh, any parting words? Um... <laughs> Anything we might have, might have missed that, that you would like to chat about before we go? I think you covered it all. Okay. Yep. Very good. But maybe we can emphasize mm-hmm. on the medical field and how there is still a need for females to represent. Um, and I say that because you've asked me a question earlier about some misconceptions, right, um, yeah. that I deal with. It's, oftentimes it's because of my age and oftentimes it's my sex. You're a female doctor. What you know? Do you have equal abilities as a male? Um, whatever that really means. I have patients coming to me all the time, not believing that I'm the doctor for whatever reason, whatever bias that they have. So I really encourage women, if you're interested in medicine, to really give it a shot because we need more representation. Absolutely. And this is Women's Spotlight Eight Weeks. Oh, perfect. Yeah. I totally forgot. Yeah. So is it? Um, 
how do you say it? Is there the, the qualifications are the same, right? Like whenever you got to get in, it's it's scores. It's what activities you've done. It's like you're just as qualified yeah. as, quote, the men. You just have to actually oh, apply yeah. and want yeah, to do it. Work hard and you'll get it. No big deal. Yeah. Come on, ladies. Let's do it. <laughs> it's, not, it's not that hard. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> you got to study anyway, right? Exactly. <laughs> well, all right. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I, I um. I wish you the best of, of 2017 in, in work and in life and in everything that you're doing. Thanks so much. All right. Dr. T, amazing. Great job. It's so, you know, as a guy, we don't have to deal with this. You look too young. Maybe we look too young, but not, oh, can I get the guy because the woman can't do that job? That's crazy. So thank you for talking about that and providing that encouragement for other women in high school and uh, students to pursue the medical profession. You can do it. I can do a study, right? Uh, look forward to, to reading about the, the slight edge. I'm going to Google it. Just again, thank you so much for your time and the great knowledge that you gave us today. Show notes can be found at a doctorsperspective.net slash 28. Stay tuned for the travel tip at the end of the episode. A big thank you to everybody who purchased the book. For those who are considering it, a doctorsperspective.net slash free ebook. You can get yourself a PDF version for free. If you watch the video, fantastic. You'll see different reasons why you should read the book. We've got things from helping with headaches, stretches, and exercises that you'll actually do. Ways to figure out food labels. What's the deal with sugar. Tricks for portion control. And a nice chunk of the book, how can your body heal itself? Are you minimizing? Why are some people negative about chiropractic? What does it actually do? What is pain? What is a misalignment or a subluxation? You can go on Amazon. They got the Kindle version, paperback book. As always, there's merchandise at the resources tab. There's podcast t-shirts, chiropractic t-shirts, mugs, whether it's getting a cup of coffee. All the stuff is high quality, good ink job. If you like what we're doing, giving back a little bit, keep the show going. Definitely not necessary, but of course it's appreciated. If you head over to the website, the top right is all the social media flavors. Pick what you like. Friend us, of course, active on Instagram and Facebook the most and trying to do more live videos, trying to keep everything fresh. The pictures of my travels are typically on both of those. Big rush on Facebook, slow drip on Instagram, of course. If you want to leave a comment, definitely do that. It helps us to know how to improve the podcast so that you guys like it better. And of course, if you leave a review on iTunes or your Android app, that's very appreciative. If you want, screenshot it, boom, throw it up on Facebook, tag me, and I'll give you a shout out. Travel tip. I've mentioned technology before, but sometimes you need to have like a cloud service, whether it's a Dropbox or Box or Google Drive, Outlook, has one as well and you have the apps on your phone it's really important because you can put important documents on there you can password protect it and if you need it boom it's right there you can print it email it whatever another option too is if you're like man i don't want to, have to pay all this money every year for storage there's something called lima and again i'm not getting sponsored for this but it's like a device that you can connect to your wi-fi it's like an external hard drive with a special program that connects to the wi-fi and then it has its own app and so then it ends up becoming like a dropbox but it's connected at your house and so the service is free you just have to pay for that box so anyway just an idea if you're traveling for a long time and you need to have important documents uh, at your fingertips at all times we just went hashtag behind the curtain, and this episode has come to an end. I hope you got the right dose for your optimal life. 
Please spread the word about this podcast by telling two friends, sharing on social media, and visit the show notes on adoptorsperspective.net to see all the references from today's guest. A sincere thank you in advance. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trosclair, giving you a doctor's perspective.